It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's Friday, October 10th, 2014, and you're listening to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes and let us know what you think there, or you can share feedback on Twitter. I'm at Eric Cohn, and Ann Thompson is at AK Stanwick. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the chief film critic and senior editor, and I'm here as always with Ann Thompson, who's finally back in her home turf of Los Angeles. We miss you out here in New York, Ann. I was there for 10 days. It was a whirlwind. It was fun. You put in your time, although I have to say the New York Film Festival is still churning along. I mean, it's just uh, it's a beast, this one. It doesn't really stop until you, you can't take it any longer, but we're almost to the finish line. Uh, Tonight, we'll be seeing Citizen Four, the Laura Poitras documentary about Edward Snowden, and the festival will wrap up Saturday night with Birdman, which, you know, we've seen and has screened around a little bit, but I think there'll be a lot of fanfare for that one as well. So uh, when we last left off, we were all, all sort of eager to see Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice. So now we can sort of just pick up and, and tell people what we thought about that one. It was an interesting screening, to say the least. I mean... Adapting Thomas Pynchon for a movie is something that nobody's ever really done before, and there's a there may be for a that. good reason. There, may, I think he got lost in the weeds on this adaptation. I mean, the first half hour is just sublime, and I I found many many sequences that were delicious and fun. And Doc, the character played by Joaquin Phoenix, is just delightful, and the actors are all having a great time. and And I think actors will actually like the movie, but but there are um, so many. You, there, there are these expositional passages where the the movie's just going down the rabbit hole of all these, you know, uh, plot twists and contrivances, and 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 he's trying manfully to to keep. It's, it's a very faithful adaptation, really, to to keep the flavor of the original and visually and orally all of that. The the whole milieu is beautifully ac- accomplished, but the actual. Uh, unveiling of this mystery plot is 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 laborious to say the least. Well, I like the movie uh, a lot more than you. I think I, what was interesting to me. I mean, I also read the book, and I and I know. I think that's why you like the movie more. I think well, it's required. It's a starting point to be sure, and I think it also. You it's know, asking a lot of an audience, though, isn't it? To read Thomas Pynchon in order to like a movie. Just from the the purely. Uh, you know, from the curiosity standpoint of, is it possible to turn a Pynchon novel into a movie? Well, he really did. I mean, when you, if you do read the book, you will see explicitly how it is realizing the uh, the kind of kooky, uh, labyrinthian way that Pynchon writes. And, and the way I read that the dialogue... first chapter, which is is very much word for word of the very first scene 
of the movie, but it's quite, and I enjoyed reading it, and it, it's wonderful, fun, very good, you know, good dialogue and all that, um, and funny, you know, I, I got it. But uh, I also um, have to note that he added a narrator, and there's a reason he did that. He couldn't do it. He could, he could not pull it off without doing it. And he added a narrator because... Adapting Pynchon requires one sex pot babe after another, one hot chick worth lusting after, after another. Well, you know, these know. are I mean, I these are shallow women, uh, my yeah, friend. I mean, this is this is like shooting fish in a barrel, of course, to some degree. Although I understand where you're coming from, but two points I would make there: one is that the voiceover narration in the movie is actually the text being incorporated by being read by a woman. And the second is, and, and this is something I found very interesting about the book and the movie, is that you're sort of lost in someone's perception of the world, the entire movie. In a sense, it's confusing because it's about confusion and it's about sort of the malaise oh, of 60s. Haze of yeah, a pot haze. It's a sort of malaise of 60s counterculture being sort of lost and forgotten to some degree by the powers that be or, or sort of neglected. And uh, I think the movie gets that across in some really fascinating ways, but also, you know, th- this character that Joaquin Phoenix plays, you know, I mean, it, it's it's his world that we're lost in, so that all the girls are sort of sex pots or, or, or sort of, uh, you know, more simplified to some degree, I think reflects just how narrowly this guy understands what's going on around him. And, you know, you could also say that the character played by Josh Brolin, this really bizarre the police officer who kind of uses Walking Walking Phoenix's character as bait of sorts to get at the the bad guys of the story, whoever they may be, is also kind of a one note personality to some degree. In fact, degree. you don't even understand by the end of the movie what the nature of their relationship actually is. It's always shifting. It's always changing. And and you you know I could not tell you. Are right, they and there's friends? something to Are me. they not friends? Is Please. he trustworthy? Is, well, he, exactly. is he crazy? Is he nuts? You know, you don't know. I mean, th- I have to say, the most successful character is Doc. I mean, he's marvelous. I, absolutely. Joaquin Phoenix is marvelous in this. Well, and, and it's there's just such a many strange, pleasures. peculiar... The way that the movie unfolds, you either try to follow it or you, you sort of give in to the sense of confusion. And, and I saw it twice in one day first in the morning press screening and then again in the evening at Alice Tully Hall, so on DCP and 35mm, which was an interesting technical comparison. But one thing that I found fascinating is that in both, I felt like I saw a different movie each time. I mean, there's no question that Paul Thomas Anderson makes movies that have their own kind of internal rhythm and you just kind of roll with it. Not everything is going to have a sort of definite answer. I feel like all of his movies, at least in the last few years, when they've sort of taken on a more refined aspect, a more confident directorial voice uh, with uh, There Will Be Blood and The Master, and now this one, that there are so many different ways to read into these movies, but even if you just surrender to them, they're impressive, just on on pure level of of cinematic artistry. And Inherent Vice is, is difficult for people because it's hard to follow, but I still find it to be so impressive just on the level of technique that, you know, it may not be my favorite movie of the year, but I, I, but I feel like it's satisfying on just on the level of craftsmanship. I look forward to seeing it again, and I do believe, if we are to talk in Oscar terms, that um, Robert Ellswit, the cinematographer who also shot Nightcrawler, which is another beautifully executed movie, um, probably will, will 
be in the running for a nomination. Um, and I, I actually think production design, production maybe design, costumes. Really. Because yeah, of the period, all, it's so well Yes, realized. they love period. And, and, and the detail, the detail. There's this great, great shot where he, where, where uh, Doc is walking into the, the, the massage parlor um, and, and it's sort of framed like a John Ford movie where he's entering the archway of the door where it's dark and in the back there are all these uh, military maneuvers going on and people jumping behind, you know, d- dust hills and, and it's just a throwaway. But, you know, Anderson uh, took this image, he told me this at the, at the after party, he took this image out of, out of Pinchon and, and just stuck it in the, you know, he doesn't tell you all the, all the different explanations for why that, that those guys, the soldiers are there, but, but he's, he gives you that image and it's just, you know, there's some wonderful, wonderful stuff and I'm looking forward to seeing it again. But you should not have the feeling when you're watching a movie that large swaths, large, large uh, pages of dialogue are going by you that you do not want to hear and you cannot absorb and you do not care about. This is not good writing. I'm sorry. It doesn't work. And my comparison is to Chinatown. Chinatown, which is very close in tone to this, is clear as a bell. You could tell me the plot of Chinatown right now if you wanted to, and I could tell it back to you. And it's not just because we've seen it many times. It's because it's so well-written and so clear. I don't think it, it, Chinatown is a point of comparison so much as The Long Goodbye, which, you know, it's obviously, I mean, PTA had a kinship with Robert Altman. They were friends, and, and he was inspired by his work, and I felt like this was more into... It's shaggier, and it's more pot-hazed, and, and that's true. And, um, and you know, with Chinatown, it's, it's a very refli- refined plot where, you know, there is something very particular that's happening. I mean, I think Inherent Vice is more in the tradition of movies like The Big Sleep, where, you know, it doesn't really matter what's happening. It's more just about kind of the general thrill of following it moment to moment. That's what Anderson said at the press conference, and I consider that to be a major cop-out, you know? I, I think that Hawks and Firthman got away with it for a whole lot of reasons, and they did it intentionally, and it's okay. I don't think Anderson got away with it. Well, maybe there is some kind of a weird uh, divide in terms of sensibilities, you know? I mean, I, I don't need precision of, of dialogue. I just need atmosphere. I need energy. I want to be entertained. I found it to be incredibly entertaining just looking at Joaquin Phoenix's face and his confusion itself was, you know, part of the artistry of the film. He but was course, wonderful. He was great. And but but again, you know, <laughs> if 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 all the actors are describing complete chaos on the set, and, you know, that they don't know what's going on. And, and you know, uh, Michael Kenneth Williams is saying to, to PTA that he thought he didn't like him. You know, um, I, I, I honestly think that kind of confusion winds up in the movie. I don't think he solved this movie. I don't think he found the right shape for this movie. This movie is not entirely realized, in my humble opinion. Well, of course, we'll have plenty of opportunities to, to bat this one around, although... Oscar-wise, it sounds like you've pretty much figured out that it's the, those technical categories and nothing else, right? Correct. Well, that's based on the assumption. There are three assumptions I'm making. One, critics are going to like it, so you're, but they're going to be mixed. It'll go both. You know, there'll be a debate. Two, um, there will be no consensus that Ro- that Joaquin Phoenix has delivered the best performance of the year, and it doesn't compare with his performance in her. 
So it really, you know, which he was nominated for last year deservedly. I think he deserves a nomination for this performance. I think it's fantastic, but I don't think it'll happen. And then three, that it's not going to do well at the box office. And therefore, I don't think that uh, if it was a hit, if there was some kind of surge, it's being handled by a studio, you know? So even though Warner's is very adept and very good and they handled Argo and they handled gravity brilliantly this movie isn't a crowd pleaser like those films were yeah i mean it's almost shocking that this is a studio movie at all i mean i, right. I don't I, i'm amazed I and mean, kudos to warner Bros. to giving you know anderson space to make a movie like this but Agreed. how on earth are you releasing this on we want them we want to see movies like yeah. this we want pta to be what he is i'm just explaining how this misses the mark i think finally. well in any case, I mean, it's it's a movie that I'm much more eager to debate uh, than one that is opening next week, which uh, for for which reviews just started coming out, including my own, which is Fury, David Ayer's uh, sort of expressionistic World War II drama with Brad Pitt and Logan Lerman and Shia LaBeouf and a bunch of others. Um, to me, the the the, the kind of summary takeaway that that I had with this movie was that it's Inglorious Bastards without the irony. Maybe with yeah, a touch that's of 300. Fair. This I is mean, sincere. It's sincere, but I just found it so bland. I mean, it's a bunch of World War II guys in a tank for most of the movie just driving through the fog, yelling at each other, and, you know, getting into one violent incursion after another, which I bland found... Bland isn't the word I would use. What? That's an interesting word. Um, well, I found it monotonous, to say the least. Hmm. I actually, um, there's a sequence in Band of Brothers, uh, if any of you saw that, the HBO, uh, where, where um, Damien Lewis is, is showing his prowess as a soldier. He's just a great, great stat- strategic um, warrior, and he knows how to maneuver, and he's very successful. And that was a very gratifying and enjoyable part of that uh, series. And there's an aspect of this movie that is like that, where you've got from the, you're very closely identified with the point of view of this one tank, which is called Fury. And these five guys, at, at least initially, um, in, in the tank, is it, is it five or four? I guess it's one, two, I stopped yeah, counting after a while. It's honestly. five. It starts out with five. So, so, so you've got Brad Pitt is the is the leader, the, the the sergeant, and and the tough guy who's who's driving these guys. And one of them is sort of raw id animal guy. That's John Bernthal from Waking Dead fame. Yeah. And and Shia LaBeouf is sort of the mom, the heart of the of the whole thing. Very very moist eyed and and religious. He they call him Bible. And then and then you've got the the new kid who's the sort of audience perspective the point of view of the innocent coming in and learning about war for the first time and having to be sort of um, pummeled into shape immediately in order to even start killing Nazis. And, and there is an aspect of, of, the, of the Brad Pitt character that's a lot like the one he played in, in Inglorious Bastards. But um, the, the, I'm not going to compare this to that. There's no comparison. That's a better movie. <laughs> It's a way better movie, but I'm a fan of war movies, and I think this one is is a perfectly well executed war movie. I love the opening shot where you're where you're on a, a field and there's a horse coming toward the camera, 
and the course arrives and 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 eventually meets its uh, uh, meets up with Brad Pitt in a in a way that's quite memorable. But but I I I, I love I I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I, I didn't find it as dull as. It sounds as like it, you're actually in the same camp as Todd McCarthy, whose review in the Hollywood Reporter opens with something like, you know, it's a good war movie, nothing more, nothing less, which is you know one way of just sort of summarizing what what kind of works about it. But frankly, but it's. I just, it's the point of view of the tank and and the grad of you know the battles and the the way that they're you know engaged and there's the dining room sequence which which is the, really quite well done and tricky you know well so the dining room sequence is the scene in the movie where they basically show up in a bombed out German town and spend some time with two women and then a bunch of soldiers show up and it gets increasingly uncomfortable. Um, you know, I, I thought it was an interesting idea that just kept going a little bit too long, and that's my that problem with the true. movie as a whole. As a whole, I think it's an interesting concept to kind of boil down the the idea of World War Two to this like abstract level. You know, it's just like pure like movement and rage and violence and discomfort. You know, it, which is an interesting contrast to you know other movies that are, there's so many others that are made about. It's this not time. glorifying war for no, sure, and it's it, at the very tail end. It's it's supposed to be ugly, and it's there's elements of Cross of Iron, the Sam Peckinpah film. I remember being the first time that I saw that movie, where the first time that a that a tank tread, you know, rides over a dead body, you know, in close up, you know, that kind of thing. There's a lot of gore. There's a lot of graphic elements in this. But it as a, you know, as a student of 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 this kind of 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 world, I mean, I remember my father raised me on battleground, you know. There are a lot of elements of the the sort of um you know the, the the classic types that 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 the, the, the he's playing around with those ideas. You know the, the Bible guy, the the animal, the the uh, the Michael Pena character. You know, oh, yeah, there's always some guy who speaks the, Spanish. Of course, you know? yeah, the, the types are there. I just don't think they're used in a sophisticated enough way. I mean, did you ever see the Israeli movie Lebanon from 2009? Samuel Maoz's film that. Uh, I believe was an Oscar submission that year. It takes place exclusively within the confines of a tank, and it's about no. A bunch I never of did see that. Oh, it's, it's, that would be I an thought interesting it was a, comparison. Yeah, really. You like it movie. better? I liked it a lot yeah. more. I mean, it was just a much more interesting cinematic experiment. Like, let's keep the action inside the tank, which is the most interesting part of the sort of claustrophobic uh, element at, at play here. In any case, it's not a movie that. I think it's going to work for a lot of people. I mean, I, I, oh, I think it's commercial. I actually think it's going to play. I think it's going to do very well. I think this is an action film. This is a, on an, on that level. I, I think it's a smart action film. But and, it's just and so it grim. Has, I mean, can you really, I mean, are people really going to be sort of flocking to an experience like this? Not to mention the fact that it's two and a half hours long. It is a little too long. That's true. Uh, look, Sony's going to put it out there. It's it's going to be uh, a Brad Pitt movie. Uh, Shia LaBeouf is very good in it. I thought he was the best thing in it. Le- Le- Logan Lerman. They're they're making a big fuss about about him as a sort of breakout, and he's very good. But I actually think Shia is the best thing in this movie. I mean, I think Brad does fine. Brad Pitt is is carrying the movie really well. I I I. It's a. It, it's a it's 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 not it, it you're right it it doesn't elevate itself to to you know art film status exactly uh, but I think I'm with I'm with I haven't read any of the reviews yet because I still have to write mine but um, I'm I'm with uh, I'm with Todd on this one apparently. Well, in any case, it's it's certainly not a, a major Oscar contender. Can we 
Can we say that? Yes, word? yes, 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 yes. <laughs> but there are a lot of others. So why don't we talk about the Oscar race for a little bit? Because uh, as usual, each time we talk, the race gets a little bit more uh, specific in terms of who the who the players are. You know, there's still a lot more we haven't seen. But, you know, tonight at New York Film Festival, Foxcatcher will once again probably leave a dent on more audiences. It's already screened at Cannes and Toronto and Telluride. So it's getting out there. It it's going to be an interesting thing to see how Foxcatcher catches on, if you like. I mean, there's a there's a way... To, I mean, this movie is more admirable and noble um, and extremely well uh, written in it and, and acted and, and directed and executed. But at the same time, that it, there, there's an element of how our audience is really going to catch on to this. And, and it would be interesting, actually, to see how it plays with the New York Film Festival audience, because that's who has to like this movie for it to catch on. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a challenge in one sense because it, you know it is it's very dark and, and cerebral in certain ways, but it's also just so well done and the performances are so memorable and it's it's just a, it's a strange story that I think a lot of people will find alluring. So of the films that are closer to to sort of the top of the crop of the best picture race, I mean, I think it's one of the more fascinating gambles. Although it's right up there with Boyhood, which. The very fact that that's a, uh, you know kind of a front runner is fascinating as usual. It is still the front runner, and 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 but but remember, people embrace Boyhood. I mean, on a, even on a box office level, around you know over the course of the summer, I mean, it's a hit, and and people really enjoy it. And I have to say, there's a movie coming up on the outside, which I always thought was actually a dark horse, but it's turning out to truly be one. I played Whiplash, which started out in January and opens today. I started that, I played that for this, the first night of the sneak previews of the fall season, and they gave it a standing ovation, which they don't usually do. They did it for, like, King's Speech, you know? that This is a very, I was surprised, it played really well, but I was surprised, and Miles Teller and, and Damien Chazelle were there, and we, we did the Q&A and everything, but... but I I think J.K. Simmons is front runner and supporting actor, and I think this movie has a. It played really well at the Academy, also mm-hmm. at the Academy screening, and I almost wonder if this isn't another margin call where maybe they get screenplay, maybe they get supporting actor, maybe there's a long shot here. No, I mean the movie from the moment that it premiered at Sundance, it was clear that J.K. Simmons was it, that. That's a best supporting actor role, you know. He has it in the bag, right. probably, yeah. as I the mean, win. And then the movie plays so well. Although Edward Norton is strong, too. Edward Norton, yeah, I mean, it's an yeah. int- always as usual, the supporting race is, is a really interesting one to watch. But uh, with Whiplash, you know, the movie is, is so much fun, and it really works for people in a lot of ways. It's, and it's there's also, a lot of tension. It's very intense. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to categorize. It's a very strange movie, and so I do wonder if, you know, that, that sort of does keep it in sort of the dark horse category because of that. You know, it's like, what is it exactly? Is it a coming-of-age story? Is it a, a thriller, a music movie? I mean, it's, 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 so, it's so hard to kind of figure out what this thing is. I that, think that it's maybe. going to become, I agree with you, I think it's going to become a must-see, though, and I think that, that people will check it out, and I also think that the Academy will understand what it's about, because it's about performance, it's about anxiety, it's about subjective 
judging of oneself, of wanting validation, of wanting to 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 please someone, and and that's so much a part of what everyone in the arts has to contend with and and wrestle with. It's almost it's also what Seymour an introduction is about, which is one reason why I think that doc has a good shot too. Well, and I'd love to see that happen as well. So maybe we're really looking at a at a. A strong year as a whole, just in terms of Oscar contenders. I mean, another movie that's sort of creeping into the race, also from Sony Pictures Classics, per usual, of course, is um, uh, Mr. Turner, which uh, we've talked about before. But you know, it's it's interesting because you know Mike Lee has has never been you know exactly an Academy favorite, although he's been. That's not true. He does very well with the Academy. He's been nominated like five or six times at this point. He's a, he's a director favorite. He's a writer favorite. It depends on the movie, whether it gets across uh, with, with them and how competitive everything right, is, depends. but they it love varies. him. I mean, it, he's, he's respected, but this is a, I mean, this is a very slow, thoughtful film sort of in comparison to the other ones that we're talking about. I mean, it's a, it, I wouldn't say it's a more traditional one, but it is sort of the, the more uh, kind of uh, it's, stately. Know, it's stately. It's a little bit like topsy turvy in a way. I mean, that would be the, because it's period. Remember, the Academy goes for period. The Academy rewards the difficulties. So this has costumes, production design, cinematography. It is gorgeous. It is one of the most beautiful movies that anybody's going to see this year. And even if audiences are going to be snoozing, which they may. I'm, you know, that's a question here. Um, the Academy will get it. They will understand the artistry involved. Well, uh, speaking of the Academy, they've got a lot to sift through when it comes to the foreign language films. I mean, we don't know what the short list will be yet, but just this week we found out that there are 83 foreign films being submitted. So that's a pretty hefty field. I'm really curious. Yes, to last year there were 77, and we were all trying to figure out how many there were and I kept calling I kept writing the academy and I said give me how many are there what is the final list because the October 1st was the deadline and so finally they said we're getting it out today we're getting it out today so yesterday they hit us with the with the uh, the approved official list of 83 and there are a number of countries that have never submitted before like Mauritania Timbuktu has a strong candidate and and Panama you know places like that that have never ever submitted before so it's it's a it's a I guess the front runners would be um force majeure uh Leviathan from force majeure from Sweden Leviathan from Russia we have the uh the the wild tales from Argentina well don't forget Ida from Poland and Ida from Poland absolutely that's a pretty Um, hefty crop there although people are are sort of uh, trying to push Xavier Dolan's name in there with Mommy, which is an interesting inclusion since, uh, you know, he's 25 years old, so this is a real breakout kind of a thing. We'll see what well, happens. Well, I don't know if, I mean, I'm a big fan of Mommy um, uh, that, from Canada. I think that's going to be an interesting question of, of whether uh, that, uh, the Academy, it's a little um, out there for them, perhaps. Um, it's interesting that the Dardens have been nominated so many times um, but, I mean, they've been, excuse me, submitted so many times. They've never had a nomination. That, that, that's an interesting it thing. It is strange. I that mean, Belgium they, they has not. Like they the Dardens say, are so established, you know. Right. And the, and the last time that they weren't submitted and that Bullhead was submitted as the Belgian nominee, it was nominated. So it's, uh, I'm sure they're, 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 they're ready for it any time. And this is a really great movie. It's just... You know, it's a very strange field because there's so many different kinds of movies that are being considered for this slot. 
I mean, and weird stuff can get in there. Remember, Dogtooth was an Oscar nominee. That's know? because there's a committee that is not there. There's a group. All right. So the quickly, there's a big the the Academy has branches that nominate, but there is no foreign branch per se. What anybody in the Academy can become part of the voting block for the foreign films. They have to sign up and they have to see a certain number. And then there's a committee on top of that that adds some nominations at the end to make sure that the can winners and the more artistic, less accessible movies are represented in the final voting. And it's all very twisted and and arcane and I don't think it works and I think they should just let let everybody vote. But anyway, it's it's a it's a it's that's why sometimes a movie like Dogtooth gets in there that never has a chance to win and in the end. Well in any case there's a lot of stuff to sift through and, and we'll know more when the short list comes out. In the meantime, why don't we turn to the movies that are opening this week? There's a lot of good options actually. A lot of bad ones too, but we won't deal with those. Now, you already mentioned Whiplash. I know you're a huge fan of that one. Anything else you want to add? No, Whiplash is good. I'm. I'm. Um, I, I want to argue with you about your pick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll set that aside then, because my pick is a documentary that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival called The Overnighters. It's from the director Jesse Moss, who's, who's made a couple of documentaries in the past. And um, I don't want to quote unquote spoil all of it, but it's essentially a movie about unemployment in America and a a priest in in, um, North Dakota who's involved with uh, helping uh, unemployed people who come to town and find work sort of get on the right track. Um, And it it involves to some degree how the oil industry plays a role in blue-collar America and various elements of sort of the the kind of struggles of of the job job market. Uh, But ultimately, it settles into this main character, this this priest, um, who, who helps people. And as it gets more and more personal, we learn things about him that are sort of revealed in the final act in a way that changes the trajectory of the movie to some degree. And what I found so fascinating about it was the way that it wove together two kinds of narratives. One is this macro that involves the, the job market and the economy uh, in, in, in a really fascinating way. It's almost like uh, the setting of Deadwood come to life or something like that. And then at the same time, it deals with a, a much much more personal themes involving grief and guilt and uh, you know sort of personal obligations and so forth. And, and it leaves a lot of questions open-ended. It now, sure does. Here's the problem. I'm see, watching this, this movie. This is the inherent vice problem with you. You this don't like the I want clarity, man. <laughs> I want to know the details. And he, you know, he so he sets up this thing where all these people are flooding into this town. All these various, you know, um, people in various levels of need who don't have a place to stay, and and even if they have a job, there's not enough housing. The housing's too expensive. The people in the town don't want them, and so we have this this priest who's who's helping them and giving them shelter at the expense of his neighbor's approval and so forth. It doesn't give us enough information. Um, what I think happened um, in the course of, of making this movie is that what often happens in documentaries is that you're tracking this, you know, a number of different things. You're, you think you start out in one place and then something else happens and suddenly you shift everything over to one character who becomes the pivotal character, in this case, the priest, and the various issues that he has with his family and other things. But 
in the course of the movie, I don't know, are these, who's employed? Are they making money? What is the actual situation in the town? What, what are the details? It was too murky, too, too much stuff untied, too many things I didn't know that I wanted to know. And I got very annoyed and irritated by the movie and irritated by the character that was being followed, who was, who was, he was like too good to be true. And of course it, you find out there, I don't want to spoil anything, but he was too good to be true. Well, I think that's part of what's so great about it is that the appearances in this movie are so deceiving and that everything that you think you understand about, you know, both the, the, you know, the nature of job security, the nature of being, being, you know, let's say, uh, uh, an, an American struggling to get by is, is very much rooted in certain assumptions that we bring to the table, and this movie unravels them through what seems like a more traditional verite approach, but is also at the same time very carefully constructed on the level of narrative to surprise you and take you in directions you don't expect. Um, and that's, uh, frankly, what's most exciting But there's withholding me. information that is that is involved. Well, in this that. is always, That's always a, question. a question with documentaries. It always is. I mean, at IDFA, the documentary festival coming up in Amsterdam in a couple of weeks, there's a whole section on hybrid films that includes everything from Robert Greene's Actress that's opening in a couple of weeks to Orson Welles' F for Fake, and that's one of my favorite movies of all time. So clearly, something about this approach hits my sweet spot and completely rubs you the wrong way, and that's you know, always the most exciting kind of movie to talk about. So I hope All people right. check it out. <laughs> in the meantime, we're, we'll have another documentary to talk about next week because Citizen Four is screening in just a couple hours after we finish this conversation. And um, that's obviously the Edward Snowden documentary that we mentioned before. So we'll have all of that to dig through in a week's time as well as many other things, I'm sure. So, Anne, it is always a pleasure to have you on the As blog. always, Eric. She like the way I flip this pen and shit, but the fact that she don't know the words really says a bit. She know we just friends, don't you love benefits? Rich girls with beamers and country club memberships. Yeah, we're playing golf is the hobby, where the grass is green and the culture is snobby. When she needs a rip, she'll call her friend Robbie. Rich girl with a trust fund, bitches wise speak. Yeah, and she won't wear it less. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.